our series in Ephesians on the armor of God. And it gave me a little more heads up than usual, which I really appreciate, because I feel very unqualified, really, to address the honor, armor of God for a couple reasons. First of all, Michael and Colby have done a great job on Sunday mornings as we've covered this text, and Chad and Michael have just really knocked it out of the park with the podcast that we've gotten to listen to every week, and they've done such a great job putting this together. It's kind of humbling to look at what, what could I add? What, God, what can you give me to add? But more than that, anybody that knows me can appreciate the irony of me speaking to anybody about how to dress. I do not have a lot of fashion sense. I do not have a lot of that, well, I don't really have a right brain at all. Like nothing looks good to me, nothing looks bad to me. It just works or it doesn't. And, and so the only time I ever bought any clothes in my whole life, when I was in the seventh grade, I took a school trip to the Texas State Fair and I rode one of those spinny, spinny, pukey, pukey rides. And I went spinny, spinny, pukey, pukey. So I puked all over my shirt, and I was humiliated. I didn't want anybody to know. So I bought a Texas State Fair shirt and threw my other shirt in the trash can. And that's the only time I can remember I ever bought any clothes on my own. From the time I moved out of the house to when I married Elizabeth, I only wore what my mama bought me before I moved out of the house. Because I just never could imagine spending money on clothes. Another thing that... that that I'm really bad about is wearing the right kind of clothes for the right situation. It is not uncommon at all for me to go home at lunch, look out the window and think, that tree needs cut down, let me get the chainsaw and go out there and do it in my suit. I've ruined a lot of clothes that way. And at one point there was a viral Facebook post that showed me mowing the lawn in a suit one time. True story. So I'm not real qualified to talk about normal clothes. But we're going to look at Scripture, and we're going to get through this. And as I looked at this Scripture, I thought of one of the—well, I thought of the greatest movie ever made. And if you're not thinking, when I say the greatest movie ever made, of Braveheart, then you need to repent. Uh, two things you can know. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today, and if your Bible's already open there, you need to work on your quiet time, because you probably didn't open it since last week. And if you don't know about Braveheart, you need to watch it, because it's the best movie ever made. And one of the great things about Braveheart is William Wallace has led this peasant uprising, uprising and little by little by little they've defeated these Scottish, these British oppressors. And all of a sudden, at the end of the movie or towards the end of the movie, they get ready to go out and meet the army of King Edward the Longshanks on the field of battle. And so all these Scottish peasants are lined up with whatever armor, whatever weapons, whatever tools they have, and they get ready, and they're ready to fight for their freedom. But then you see the Scottish lords, and they're talking, and they say, we're not going to fight. We're going to negotiate. We're going to get more land out of this deal. And so if the Scottish lords just get more land, the Scottish peasants just get more work. They don't get any more freedom. They don't get any more rights. They don't get any more protection. They don't get any benefit to them at all. And so William Wallace figures out what's going on, of course, Mel Gibson, and he says, I'm going to pick a fight. And so he gets on his horse and he rides off. And so Shamish, I think his name is, the big red-headed guy, turns to his buddy and says, I sure hope we didn't get dressed up for nothing. And a lot of times when we talk about the armor of God, 
There's a big concern that we got dressed up for nothing. Because a lot of times we come to Sunday school and we go to church and we do all the stuff, but when it time, comes time to actually use that armor, we'd rather just hang it on the wall. We'd rather look really impressive in photos. And today we're going to talk about that transition from putting that armor on to using that armor. And before we do that, I want to make a little bit of a recap of where we've been so far. When we talk about the honor armor of God, what are we talking about? First of all, we're told to put on the belt of truth. Now, real quickly, if you don't have your belts on, your pants are going to fall down and you will be embarrassed. When what we say is not the truth, when it's not grounded in the truth of Scripture, when it comes from our own wisdom, our own mind, at some point in time, our pants are going to fall down. We're going to be embarrassed. We're going to trip. We're going to fall because nothing but God's Word has eternal value. Next thing, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, righteousness guards our heart. If we don't live out the truth that we put on when we put on the belt of truth, and we don't live a life consistent with that, with that righteousness, our heart is going to be exposed because the breastplate of righteousness guards our heart in everything that we do. We're commanded to put on the sandals of readiness, which is the gospel of Christ. The gospel drives every step that we take. The gospel is what moves us. Because we're called to live a life as though we are redeemed. That's the purpose of our life. And if we don't clothe everything in our life with the goal of the gospel, we're going to be standing in place. The shield of faith. Faith is belief that causes action. One of my favorite adventures with my son when he was four years old, we took him to Universal Studios, Island of Adventure. And I really believe in encouraging my son to be brave, to conquer his fear and all that stuff. And that's why we do a lot of amusement parks and that type of stuff, because I think there's something to be said for looking at something, understanding in your head that the fear is not rational, that it's really safe, and conquering your fear so that you can control yourself. And I'm, it, that's a big thing at our house is we do those things. And the first kind of big ride he ever rode was Spider-Man. And I think, this is going to be rough. I don't know how he's going to do with this, because there's it's fast, and you go up and down, and it's scary, and all these things, and he's not quite four years old. And so we get on the ride, and we're going through, and everything's 3D, and all the villains are coming at us, and all this stuff. And then at the end of the ride, you fall off a skyscraper, and you're falling to the ground, and you really feel like you're falling, and it seems really real. Really real. And I'd ridden it before, and I was kind of worried, this is the part where I'm going to have to hold Cade real tight and tell him it's okay. So I reached over, I put my arm around Cade, and Cade looked up and said, don't worry, Dad, Spider-Man going to get us. Because he'd never ridden the ride before, but he knew all about Spider-Man. And he had past experiences with Spider-Man so much so that he had faith, and that faith gave him the courage to do what he needed to do. And that's an example of faith that changes the way that we live. The helmet of salvation. Now, Michael, a few weeks ago when he preached, he said everybody has that one friend that gets them a concussion. And so when he said that, I like any logical person, thought of Patrick Phillips. And so Patrick has gotten me, I don't believe in, I'm not susceptible to concussions, but he's gotten me at least two, two times when my bell rung and I didn't know where I was or what day it was. And so I thought of him. 
But while I'm thinking of Patrick getting me hurt, I get two different text messages from two different people telling me I'm the concussion friend. Which is just not true at all. But I know this, when I wear a helmet, I have more fun in life. And the fact that we have the helmet of salvation, it makes life just a little less scary. I am not minimizing COVID at all. We've had a big problem with that this week, as you know. I'm looking out to about a half full church. Hopefully that means the other half is, is sitting there at home watching on YouTube or Facebook right now. I totally think that's serious. But I'd be a lot more scared if I didn't have the helmet of salvation. And that's the fact of the matter. And just like I've noticed when I wear my helmet skiing, I am willing to jump off stuff that I'm... I probably would still jump off, but I wouldn't do it with as much of a smile. I'm willing to, when I'm on a four-wheeler, to go up something that I probably wouldn't be willing to go up without it. And so it really does increase the enjoyment that we can have. And the sword of the Spirit. Now, the sword of the Spirit is my favorite of those things we've covered so far because I'm a sword guy. I told you Braveheart's the best movie. Remember when you were a kid and you would play... Now, ladies, this might not apply to you, but if you're really cool, I guess it does. Remember when you would play war, and so you'd have toy guns and toy swords, and you get those out, and a lot of people always get the toy gun. They want the machine gun or this or that. Uh-uh. I have no interest in a toy gun. No interest when I was three. No interest today. Because what happens when you shoot somebody with a toy gun? What do they say every time? Miss me. Man, it makes me mad. Miss me? No, I did a pointing right at you. You know what happens if you hit him in the face with a toy sword? You hit him in the face with a toy sword. And they don't say, miss me. They say, you hit me. You see, that's better. There's no doubt. Well, that's exactly the way that Scripture works. Because the Bible tells us that God's Word will not return void. It always accomplishes the goal that God intends. Always. Never a question, miss me, didn't. If you share God's Word, it does something. Because it's living and active. And that is the armor of God that we talk about when we talk about the armor of God. But today we're going to talk about something a little bit different. We're going to talk about the armor of prayer. The armor of prayer. And what's interesting about the armor of prayer as opposed to everything else is so far in this series, we have spoken exclusively about soldier stuff. Things that individual soldiers have and use and worry about. Individual soldier stuff. Today, we transition and we're going to talk about army stuff. Army stuff. Now, when I talk about prayer, what prayer is to the army of God is two things. Prayer is our means of logistics and air support. Logistics and air support. When I talk about logistics, that's where we get the word logic. When I talk about logistics, what I mean is the coordination and movement of troops and supplies across a geographic region to accomplish a military task. Let me say that again. The coordination and movement of troops and supplies across a geographic region to accomplish a military task. That's how wars are won, by getting who you need and what they need, where you need them to do what needs doing. I don't care if you're talking about King David in First and Second Samuel or Alexander the Great 
or Eisenhower, the greatest generals in history have been geniuses of logistics. In fact, Alexander the Great said, if I ever lose a battle, by the way, he never did, if I ever lose a battle, the first men I'll have whipped will be my logisticians because they're the key to victory. Logistics, this idea of getting people and stuff where it needs to be, is the key to victory. In fact, I had a history professor that told me the most important invention in World War II, the most important weapon, the most important factor in World War I, I should say, World War I, was the invention of peanut butter. Because we were able to get protein to our troops without it being refrigerated, without it perishing, without it being extremely costly, and it was portable. And so peanut butter, a lot of people have argued, won World War I. Prayer is the time when God gives us our orders and gives us what we need to carry out those orders, to put us on the same page. If I pray to God and you pray to God and we both seek God, He's not going to tell us two different things. Now, we might come back with two different conclusions, and we're going to have to get in the Word of God and figure that out. But God does not give us a divisive spirit. He gives us a spirit of unity. And prayer is how God gets us on the same page. It's the logistical mechanism of our army. But even cooler than that, prayer is our air support. It is our ability to call in an unstoppable force to accomplish a goal that is unachievable on our own. It is our opportunity to call in help for us and for other people. And we can argue about whether peanut butter won World War I, but I tell you what won World War II, the atomic bomb that fell out of the sky. And then it was over. Because air support is essential. And when we pray, we can call on a holy God who has unlimited power and unlimited wisdom to answer our prayers in accordance with His plan for His goals and His glory. That is an incredible, incredible concept that we have the ability to speak directly to our general. We don't have any chain of command. We don't have any steps we have to go through. We have the priesthood of the believer. We can go straight to God, both for marching orders and air support. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And we're going to pick up in chapter 6, verse 18. With every prayer and request, pray at all times in the Spirit. And stay alert in this with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And pray also for me, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough in him to speak as I should. Now we're going to walk straight down these two verses, and we're going to talk exactly about the marching orders that we receive so we figure out what we do with our armor. And we're going to start with the first thing he says, pray at all times in the Spirit. Pray at all times in the Spirit. What does this in the Spirit mean? Well, in the verse before we talked about last week, the sword of the Spirit, which is God's Word. 
And so we pray in God's Word, we pray consistent with what God's Word says, but the Spirit is also God's presence within us, the Holy Spirit living with us. It's a consciousness of the fact that we are not alone. Wherever I go, wherever you go, God's there. He's there before we get there, and He's there on the way with us. He is present. Up, down, left, right, He's there. And when we pray in the Spirit, we acknowledge that God is where we are. Years ago, when I was a young, young man, probably 13, 14 years old, I had lunch with James Langford. Back when he wasn't Senator Langford, he was just James. And he and I were talking about this concept of praying without ceasing. And James told me this. He said, Corey, today when you pray, don't say amen. That kind of freaked me out a little bit. You, you got to say amen. I can't open my eyes if I haven't said amen. He said, no, pray without ceasing. Remember that God is riding along with you all day long. And just to keep that on your mind, don't say amen today. That way it's going to be awkward enough that you think about it. And I did that. And it's such a mind-blowing experience to realize that you are riding along, walking along with God everywhere you go. One of the things I really like to do, we had to do a Haven podcast this year because of all the COVID stuff this week, and we talked about this on the podcast, but one thing that is a wonderful exercise for developing this concept that God is where you are is taking a prayer walk. Just go somewhere school campus, work, wherever, you're going to see stuff. And just pray and talk to God about what you see. People might look at you like you're crazy, but that's okay. They won't do anything to you. If you even if you are, you're fine. Just talk to God about what you see. Acknowledge His presence. Have that prayer walk and realize that you can talk to God about anything and He's present. Now, years ago, I worked at a church, Slaughterville Baptist Church, and I had a pastor that I worked for. His name was Richard Kerr. And when I first started working there, I thought the dude was loopy because he talked to the copy machine all the time. Like, he just talked to it like it was a person. And one day, I decided I was just going to go eavesdrop. And what I realized was he wasn't talking to the copy machine. He was talking to God about the copy machine. And he says things like, okay, God, how many copies do I need? Now, well, okay, what, what, should I hit the staple button or should I print them and then sort them and staple them myself? And, and, oh, should I do legal or letter? And I thought, this guy's so weird. But as I got to know him better, I realized that he was so conscious of the presence of God that he included God in each and every decision. I see that's so important because Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, here I am, I stand and knock. If anyone will hear my voice, I'll come in and eat with him and him with me. And we talk about that verse all the time in connection with sharing the gospel. And I do believe that is an, a very appropriate use of that scripture. Sometimes there's controversy about that, but I, I, I think it's right on. But I want us to realize, he says, I'll come in, come into your heart, and sit with you and eat with you. See, when we give our life to Jesus, when we make God the Lord of our life, we're sharing the food on our table with Him. We're sharing our life with Him, and He is present. 
Have you ever had one of those awkward meals with somebody you don't like and there's just no talking that happens? Or worse yet, have you ever lived with somebody that you just couldn't converse with? I had this potluck roommate my first year at OU, and he refused to speak with me. I'd say, hey, John, how was your weekend? <clears throat> well, I've got some friends coming over tonight. Are you going to be here or not? <clears throat> and he wouldn't speak to me. To this day, I have no idea what I did to that guy, but he refused to speak with me. Drove me nuts. It was so awkward, I spent the last half of the semester sleeping on my sister's couch because I could not stand to be in the presence of someone who wouldn't communicate with me. And God doesn't call us to have this awkward life of conviction where we don't talk to God and we ignore God and, and we separate ourselves from Him. He calls us to share our life with Him, to share our meals with Him, to share our thoughts, our concerns, our hopes, our prayers with Him, to live our life with Him. He says, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. And that is an awesome thing. And when we pray, we tell God what we need, what we're thankful for, what we're worried about, but we also listen. Now, God speaks through circumstances in our life. He speaks through the Holy Spirit. He speaks through other believers, and He speaks through His Word. The way you line up all that other stuff is, does it line up with God's Word? But most of the time in my life, I don't know about you, my problem is usually not figuring out what God wants me to do. Most of the time, I got a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong, and I might not know what God wants me to do 10 steps from now, but I know about the next step. You know what I struggle with? Doing it. And part of prayer is obeying God when He speaks to us. Because when you get those marching orders and you don't start marching, the orders didn't do anybody any good. In fact, they hurt the people who were relying on you to do what you're supposed to do. And part of this prayer, part of this praying in the Spirit is when God leads us, we go do what God says to do. And then he says, in the second part of this verse, stay alert. So the first thing we do, we pray at all times in the Spirit. Second, he says, stay alert. The Bible tells us that the devil is like a lion roaming to and fro, and we are to watch for him. You ever hear the story that... that, that 80% of accidents happen within a mile of your house. You ever hear somebody say that? Here's my advice to you. Move. Right? Stay away, because that one-mile radius is pretty dangerous. That's not really how it works, right? It's a mile of my house, a mile of your house, because we get lazy. We don't watch. We're not diligent. We don't pay attention. But we are diligent about things we take seriously and things we're excited about. I'll tell you right now, there's never going to be something that happens in the state of New Mexico related to snow skiing that I don't know about before you. Because I am passionate about snow skiing. I read books about it. I watch YouTube videos. I get every blog, every checkup, every everything. I tailor my workouts all year round based on snow ski performance. All of those things because I'm passionate about that and I'm diligent and I know when those things happen because I care. Other things we simply take seriously. And so because of that, we make a decision that we are going to watch. If you have guard duty in the military, you don't just hope you work, wake up on time. You set your alarm and you get there because it's a priority. We're called to be diligent with our prayer life, to have discipline. How do we pray? 
One of the things we talked about again on the podcast this week is being intentional about time and place. I have specific time that is dedicated to a conversation with God at a specific place. In addition to including God in everything I do, praying in the Spirit, I have a specific diligent time each and every day that I talk to God about those things. And that is important. You see, Peter was doing just fine when he looked at Jesus when he was walking on the water. And he looked at the wind and the waves, and he wasn't, because he got distracted. And we're called to be diligent, to have the discipline, the time and the place that we consistently pray to God to get our marching orders and to call in air support. He also says, with all perseverance. What does it mean to persevere? It means to take one more step. Now, sometimes we as Christians, we get a little bit spiritually mushy a lot of times, and we say, well, with God's strength, I can do anything. And that's absolutely true, 100%. In fact, it says in 2 Peter, 2, 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Everything we need, God has given us. You have everything you need to live a godly life. You don't need anything else but what God has given you, period. But you know what? In our house, Elizabeth, is a, it, she's a really great housekeeper, but there's one room that's not her problem. We have a guest room where I keep my stuff. I keep everything from snow ski gear to my closer in the closet to, to that's where I plug in all my cordless drills and that stuff. All that, that's my room, and it's my responsibility. And if you go in there, you have to climb over stuff because it's everywhere. There's probably 600 ties spread out on my bed at all times because I, I just do nothing, right? It's my job and I just don't do it. Now, I have a vacuum cleaner. I have a washing machine. I have the time to handle it. I have cleaned it before. I have the know-how. I have everything I need. But I don't do it, because the truth of the matter is, I don't have perseverance. Sometimes I walk in there and I hang a few ties up, and then I go, I'm going to go research some more snow ski stuff. So I step out, and we have everything we need to pray to God and have a relationship with Him, but that does not mean we will. We have to persevere. We have to decide to take that one more step. Now willpower is a commodity that you can build up over time. You can learn to trust in God, to have the strength to take that other step, to persevere, to hold on a little bit longer. Spiritual willpower, willpower comes from spiritual experience, which is preserved by spiritual souvenirs. Now, here's what I mean by that. When David came across Goliath, he knew, I can go fight a giant because God has already delivered me from a lion and a bear. And he can do this. I don't know this, but I really think at David's house, when he sat by his, fire, his fireplace and read the Bible at night, I think there was a lion hung up on the wall that he killed. 
And I think he looked at that lion and knew God delivered me. And he can deliver me again. Because he had spiritual souvenirs in his life. When Joshua sent the Israelites across the River Jordan into Israel, he said, y'all go back, walk out before, before this miracle ends and the water, the water comes back down across the river. Y'all go get those dry rocks and take them and give them to your kids and your kids' kids and your kids' kids and tell them this is from when Israel walked across the Jordan River on dry land and tell them what God has done. And God calls us to store up that spiritual willpower by remembering the spiritual things that God has done by keeping spiritual souvenirs. And so how do you keep spiritual souvenirs in your life? You tell people what God has done. I really, I really think Facebook is a fantastic way to grow as a Christian because when God does something awesome, you can post it there, and then a year later on your Facebook memories, you'll see it again. And a year after that, you'll see it again and again and again. But do things, have systems in place to have these memories so we can remember what God has done, and we build up that endurance. Now, my son Cade, when he was young and, and little and... and uh, one day he came to me and he said, Dad, I want you to find me a sport. I said, what do you mean? He said, like one I'm real good at, like, like the best at. I said, well, let's, let's look. Let's try to figure something out. He said, I'll be thinking on it. And he comes to me a little later and says, Dad, I got it. So I, I assume he's going to say football. And he says, it's a new game I invented. Okay, what is it? He says, it's called uncling. Uncling, okay, what do you do? He said, you torture me as hard as you can, and I don't say uncle, and I win. So, okay. He says, we'll set the timer, like set it for five minutes, and you torture me. And if I don't give in, I win. Okay. So, over the next several years, I did everything that I thought that I could do and still sleep at night as a father not go to jail, not get arrested, every kind of twist your fingers, noogie, whatever, hold down, whatever, anything that I could do with a clear conscience. And to this day, Kate has never said uncle, ever, ever. He's never given in one time, ever. In fact, one time we were skiing, one more ski story, and, and so they had given him boots that were two sizes too small, and I didn't look at them. I just slammed him on him, and he kept saying, my feet hurt, my feet hurt, my feet hurt. And I said, be a man. What's wrong with you? Toughen it up. And he said, Dad, I don't even say uncle. You know something's wrong. And I looked, and they were two sizes too small. And his feet were like black from the bruise, because that kid is tough. A little later that year at school, they had to write what they were going to do, and Kate said he was going to be a spy. I said, a spy? Really? He's not a real sneaky kid. He said, well, sure, I'm like not stealthy and stuff, but you know I can take the torture. Because he has decided, I'm going to take that other step. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to resolve to live a life of perseverance. And we are called to say, I will take that next step every single time. We are commanded to have perseverance and to build up that willpower by remembering what God has already done. And after that, he says, with perseverance and intercession. Intercession is when you pray for someone else. You see, God has given us a shield wall. He has made us a military unit where I have a responsibility to guard your back 
and you have a responsibility to guard my back. And we do that through prayer, by praying for people about their spiritual needs, about their physical needs, about their family needs, because we love them and we care. And God has called us to call in air support for them. 22 years of student ministry, I had known a lot of really great parents. Back when I was a youth minister, I started to notice there were some parents that really loved God and really had a quest for holiness, and their kids didn't. And maybe they rebelled, and they would be bitter, and they'd be angry. And then other parents, the same love for God, the same quest for holiness, and you see the kids act just like them. And it's very hard to tell, and, and people have free will, and I'm not blaming anybody for anything. But as I've studied year after year after year, and I've looked for common factors in those families that raise up kids that seek after the Lord and don't have this bitterness and this anger, the common factor that I see most prevalent when I watch is those parents are passionate about prayer. They're dedicated to praying for their children. And they'll talk to you about, I'm praying that God will do this and this and this in their life. And I'm praying that God will send them a spouse, that God will give them a calling, that God will keep them pure, that God will help them. And they're diligent about being on their knees and praying and caring for their children. And the Bible says that the prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. And I'm telling you, prayer matters. And people have free will, and your kids can still go off the deep end. But prayer matters. Prayer matters to their hearts, to their lives, to their futures. Matters to my heart, my life, and my future, your heart, your life, and your future. And God calls us to pray for each other, to protect each other in prayer. That's a commandment from Scripture. To intercede, to pray for each other. So my question for you is, who are you praying for? You know, in the movies, those shield walls are so cool and they're all organized and, and no arrows can get through. And that doesn't just happen. They practice a lot. In fact, in the movies, they hit cut, then move everybody around, and then the director says action, and then they do it again, and then they pause. It's not easy. We can't hit pause. We got to practice. Practice, practice, practice. Who are you praying for? Are you praying for your family? Are you praying for your church? Are you praying for your pastor? For your church staff? For your government, even if you didn't vote for them? For your school? For your coworkers, even if they're annoying? For your boss, even if you don't like him, who are you praying for? Our leaders need our prayers. And we're commanded to pray for them. We are commanded to intercede for them. The Bible says, he that knows a good thing and doesn't do it, sins. And so God, if he has called you to pray for somebody, and you thought of somebody when I was just talking, if God has laid a leader on your heart, 
or a person on your heart and you don't do it, that's not God's best for your life, is it? That's sin. God commands us to pray for other people and to intercede. And the last thing in this text I want us to look at today. Paul says specifically, pray also for me. He goes on and even, even talks about the fact that he is in chains and it is not fun. It's okay to ask for prayer. You don't have to be too macho to say everybody else needs prayer. Worry about them. We have an unlimited God, and it's not going to hurt anybody else to pray for you. It's going to bring them closer to God and help them have something to practice about. It's okay to say, I need prayer. I need help. And if people don't know, they can't pray for you. So be honest when you're struggling, when you're asking, when you're, when you're having a hard time, when you're scared, when you're worried, when you're overwhelmed. Ask for prayer. It doesn't have to be the biggest, most dire circumstance in the world. But be honest. Because God wants other people to pray for you. He commanded us to do it. But we've got to know what to pray about. Now, in just a moment, Brad and everybody's going to come up. We're going to have an invitation. And before we do, I want to point out one last thing about prayer. See, prayer is unique. Not only is it how we get our orders, not only is prayer how we call in our air support, prayer is how we join the army. Prayer is how we join the army. And here's what I mean by that. Jesus said, no man may enter the kingdom of heaven unless he is born again. Unless there's a time in your life when you believe in your heart, when you confess, I said that backwards, when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is the boss, that he is the owner of you, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, you are for real. Until there's that moment when you say, God, take me, I'm yours, and you enlist, then you're not a part of God's army or his kingdom. And he says today, I call you. I want you. Today, if you have never gotten in the fight, if you have never enlisted, if there's never been a time in your life when you said, God, take me, I'm yours, whether you're sitting here in this sanctuary or whether you're at home staring at a phone watching this on Facebook, God says to you, I am calling you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made for this very battle. You were designed for this fight, and God calls you to enlist. In just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. If there's never been that time, now's the time to come forward, and we'll have a conversation about what it means to say, God, take me, I'm yours. Be the Lord of my life. If you're here and you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, but you realize you haven't been in the fight, you haven't been in the battle, you've been on the sidelines, and God is saying to you today, get in the fight. 
If you need to talk, we're here to talk. You need to pray, we're here to pray. This altar's here to pray. And if you need to proclaim, I'm back in the fight, and you need to make that public with a public rededication, we're here for that too. Whatever it is, whatever marching orders God is giving you today, I pray that you will answer with yes, sir. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you do not send us into this battle unarmed. God, that you have given us everything we need to live a godly life in you. And God, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as their Savior, if there's anyone here who doesn't know that they know you as their Savior, God, give them the courage to take that step. God, that you would move in this place in a mighty, mighty way. God, that your presence would be felt and that we would obey what you give us to do. If there's anyone who, here who doesn't know you as their Savior, God, I pray that you would call them today. God, if there's anyone here who needs to get something right with you, God, do business with them where they sit, wherever they are. God, help us to march in unity wherever you send us. We pray this in your name. Amen.